Welcome to a new edition of the Art Business Podcast. My guest today is uh, a Sotheby's Institute of Art uh, alumna, uh, Milena Berman. And um, we're going to be talking about a couple of things today in connection with Milena's interests and her profession, professional work. Uh, these th This will include the idea of um, cultural tours, you know, quite high-end cultural tourism, um, but also um, the 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 market for fine wines and the the wine trade so milena is originally from san francisco in california and after studying art history as an undergrad she worked at documenta 13 in castle germany in the press relations team and then returned home to san francisco to work for a private photography collection called pier 24. she also worked in commercial and non-profit art galleries before moving to Burgundy in France in 2013 to work in cultural tourism. For seven years, she organized and led travel programs all over the world for donors and boards of trustees of the world's top cultural institutions, including the Whitney, LACMA, the Serpentine, the Guggenheim and others. She's based in Bonn. Uh, I believe that is in Burgundy, Milena. That's right. <laughs> anyway, That's good good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> you're welcome. So you're based in you're based in Bohm, um, which is obviously a really well known um, center of the art world um, in in Burgundy and in France and indeed in the world. It's very internationally known uh, wine production center. And Milena was naturally therefore immersed in both wine and gastronomy and found a home in its dynamic wine community during the pandemic. Milena went back to study art business at Sotheby's Institute whilst also working for one of the most revered wineries in Burgundy, uh, Domaine Dujac. Today she works in the realms of wine and culture and is most interested in their intersections, fostering connections between people and places through meaningful experiences. Her company, Haute Coat, I'll put that in the um, written blurb, <laughs> Um, and pardon my French, by the way. Um, that was that, perfect. Uh, okay. Um, the, the company is actually run together with her partner, the wine specialist uh, Loïc Lamy. That's right. Uh, uh, and the company organises immersive art and wine programmes, hence the intersection between art and wine, and, and also it, it travel, because these are travel and event-based programmes. Um, and she th th they run these for professionals in the creative and wine in industries, as well as for private groups, collectors, cultural institutions, as well as non-profit organisations. Um, so, Milena, that's why I wanted you to invite you on this podcast. Um, you know, this is just such an interesting area uh, related to the art world um, and uh, you know we're, we're now in a world where Patrick Drahi for example who came in as the as the major shareholder and and uh, director of Sotheby's auction house you know he when he came in he wanted to 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 turn Sotheby's into more of a kind of like luxury selling luxury goods of which art is is one and I, I think if we I was just actually looking through the program this year the the forthcoming sales and we see a lot of wine sales and there always have been of course at both Christie's and Sotheby's uh the two you know major international auction houses um and um, we, I think one of the things we'll talk about 
in the podcast asked your opinions on is, um, you know, the idea of collecting wine, um, not only for cultural reasons, but, you know, I know a lot of people do this for investment reasons as well. Um, but I, I was I was just looking at where at, at the themes of some of the forthcoming sales at Sotheby's and Christie's. And I noticed that um, there's actually an online sale called Bone. I don't know whether you're aware of that starting on the 2nd of March. You probably are. And, and yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, that's that's actually um, I think it's actually in bone. And you, you might want to talk about that later. Um, and the um, the same day, for example, 2nd of March, there's a live sale of um, a French private collection wines at Sotheby's New York. So, you know, we're in New York, we're in we're in Burgundy. Um, there's also a sale coming up in Hong Kong. Um, and certainly, you know, before the new millennium, um, you didn't see that such a huge interest in wine in Southeast Asia. And that is something that definitely grew in the new millennium. Significantly, I think, as China and Southeast Asian countries emerged as big fine art collectors and 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 traders, as it were. So the, the, the two things go to back together in some ways. I also noticed there's a premier Napa Valley wines collection Um uh, at Sotheby's in again working in Napa in the in the center um on the 25th of February and um that apparently um that is for licensed members of the wine trade only mm -hmm. which is which is I don't know how how whether this is a, a first for doing something like that and the reasons why they might do that but that, that's something we might talk about later but um just to introduce you a little bit more Milena um Usual questions I ask my guests just at the, at the start. Uh, do, do you have a, a favorite city and what would your reasons for that be? So I obviously I'm located, I'm so happy just to comment on what you just said about bone being more relevant or coming up in these auctions. I'm so pleased with this because it is, you know, bone is a historic ancient city, medieval city, and it's always been very, um, very well known in the wine world, but not in the art world, certainly, um, the contemporary art world. And so I'm very excited I used to sort of when I was going around with my art clients, I would really almost, I would not mention the fact that I lived in Burgundy, because if you're trying to um, appeal to someone and who works in the or who's in the art world, you really want to be saying that you live in London or New York or Berlin, because if, as soon as you're living in the countryside, that means you're not exposed to um, so much art. And um, I'm very pleased that this is shifting and that now when I say the word bone or I say that I live in Burgundy, there is some more knowledge and context and um, the association with wine um, is, I think, more and more interesting for people who are also collectors of art. Um, so that being said, I love cities. But I'm really attracted to the countryside, and I really love this combination when there is art and culture, um, gastronomy, uh, wine. In a countryside setting, this is most appealing to me. So these sort of destination, art destination places that are taking people out of the city um, is what gets me very excited. And some of the, the places that I'm most drawn to are in the countryside, such as in, in Provence, in the Luberon. Um, if you've, I'm sure you know um, Chateau Lacoste in Aix-en-Provence or outside of Aix-en-Provence, but some of the little villages surrounding that area are so beautiful. And you definitely don't need to feel that you're disconnected um, from the cultural world when you're in these places. I know I think about Somerset too and Hauser and Worth space um, in, in the countryside there and also their 
space on the island of Menorca. Those are the very, for me, appealing um, places to travel to at the moment. Yeah, and that you mentioned Hausner and Worth in Somerset, and of course they have created a model which does some of the things you you've been saying. Um, they they have a very well known um, broth bar grill and restaurant, um, which is a which is actually a destination for 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 a lot of people. Um, you know, who, even coming out of London and driving down quite it's two hour drive down there, but people are willing to do it. So so they're attracted not only by the art gallery and the but by the beautiful countryside surroundings and by you know um a restaurant offering good food and fine fine wines <laughs> whole experience exactly yeah, absolutely and I, I i guess i guess in a in a historical context you know anyone listening to this podcast in 100 years time they won't have to be, well maybe they will have to be reminded you know we, we we've just come out of lockdown a pandemic with lockdown so the last uh, two coming on three years and i a lot of people moved out of the city um, small businesses moved out of the city or were created in the countryside. And so that I think that model is going to become more and more uh, regular. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, what about, do you, are you into architecture or, you know, if you're living in Bone, could you say something about any other beautiful buildings there, historical or pro presumably not contemporary, but I may be wrong? No, I no, all, you're, no, you're correct. Um, no contemporary architecture to speak of in Bone, though I do hope that this is coming. I think some of the wineries um, so um, will be now going in more contemporary and ecologically friendly also, which mm. often looks more contemporary. Um, but historical buildings aplenty. No, um, the Hospice de Bone is the most famous building in Bone, which is the um, historical charity hospital, which is where the auction takes place. The most famous wine auction really of the world um, takes place once a year, the third Sunday in November. And it was historically run by Christie's and was taken over by uh, Sotheby's got the bid um, last year for the, or two years now. They This last year was their second rendition of the Vente des Vins, the wine auction, Hospice de Bonne. Mm -hmm. And incredibly successful. Uh, the, the two years that they've run this, they have absolutely exploded the um the highest numbers that they had had in the past 100% of the proceeds go to charity. So it's a really interesting, it's a wonderful um, occasion and um, people come in from all over the world and more so now um, than before. Um, now that Sotheby's has been, has changed a few of the things that the ancillary events and they've, they had a team of 60 or 70 people um, come in last year from the Sotheby's team to help run this event. So uh, anyway, that all happens in the, in the most historic building, an absolutely beautiful um, ceramic tiles. You know, you've probably seen photos of Burgundy mm -hmm. where you see these, these rooftops that are uh, multicolored and that's what Burgundy is really known for. And then, but yes, it's a 15th century, beautiful, it definitely worth a visit. Oh, that's that's so interesting. I, I noticed I think it's an online sale, the one happening in early March. Yes, a boat sale. Um so obviously what you're talking about at the hospice is a is a different uh so that's yeah, event. that's very much in person in November and it's a whole weekend. It's well, it starts on the Thursday of mm. events happening, wine tastings, um, sure. oysters, escargot. It's a big party, really, the whole town. <laughs> closes down and it's really it's definitely um one of the most exciting times to come and visit burgundy oh it sounds like somewhere for listeners might want to wait to, to go to that uh you know one day 
Um, and um, in coming now onto onto your sort of artistic interests, do you do you are you a musical person? Do you do you play, or do you, is there anything you particularly like listening to, or are you pretty eclectic? Um, I don't play music. I do love to listen to all different kinds of music. And because we're so interested in weaving in culture and wine, um, mm. I have been more interested in the ways in which, so that's often done, you know, you've heard of classical music being played to vineyards. Yes. I don't know, maybe you haven't heard of this, but um, so there's a, a famous uh, winery in Germany that does this. They play Mozart, I believe, to calm the vines. <laughs> but then in, in Burgundy, really? there's a from time, yeah, from time That's to amazing. time, there are jazz performances, mostly classical music. It's really a hub for um, Baroque uh, music, and it's played, you know, um, with wine and visits to wineries, and there's a festival. Um, but most recently, we've started a collaboration with someone who's very interested in hip hop and bringing wine and hip hop together. And so <laughs> we did. His name is Jermaine Stone, and he comes from the auction world. He worked at Saki's for many years. And so we did an event with him, the wine and hip hop tasting end of harvest at the end of last harvest. And that was wonderful. It was really what was so amazing was to take something as, you know, seemingly pretentious as wine, um, which it really shouldn't be. We're talking about fermented grape juice. But, you know, it, it's it's a harder to approach, just like in temporary art. I think some people are intimidated by it and to play hip-hop music from the 90s and early 2000s and um, taste wines from prestigious wineries and um, and yeah burgundy appellations it was a really wonderful thing so I love the idea of blending um, not just art and wine but also music and wine yeah and of course I that you know this um, very well-known artists have often been commissioned to create labels for Wine, wine. Uh, the most obvious ones, in my experience, being Rothschild. Yep. Um, yeah. You know those the the links between wine and this is nothing new, really, to be linking wine and art. I think for I had actually sort of pushed back on it a little bit because it felt the reasons felt a bit too surface level for me. You know, it's felt like here's one luxury product with another luxury product. You know, you should. Uh, you know, visit a winery and there will be works of art in the in the vineyard or surrounding the it's it's beautiful and aesthetically it's interesting, but I was lacking a little bit of depth there. So I wasn't I've kind of been keeping my two worlds in parallel for a long time. I was keeping my art world separate from my wine world up until very recently where I found a link that I find much more interesting, which is terroir. So I don't know how much your listeners really know uh, how familiar this concept is to them of terroir, which is really that a wine can express a place. So it can be, um, it's it, the factors of geology, the soil makeup, the environmental factors, the exposure to the sun, um, the human intervention, all of these different factors are expressed through the wine and a wine of place, a wine where you can really taste that is what's so special and exciting about wine to me and to many other people. And I feel the same way about art. I think that a, an art piece where you can really understand, you understand it more by understanding the context, the social influences, um, you know, the people who, the contemporaries working to that artist, the influences from all different, whether it's environmental, geologic, uh, geographic, um, cultural, social, is what make that art piece interesting. So when I think about it through this lens, now I'm starting to, 
feel that connection between wine and art as being a bit more um, profound and interesting to me. I'm also noticing that the people who collect wine um, want to know everything about the wine that they're collecting in the same way that collectors of art want to know everything about the artist, everything about the work. Um, it, it's, it's, these are people who go very deep into the subject. And so I find that they have a lot of similarities, even if they don't necessarily speak the same exact language when they're talking about art and wine. That's really interesting. I suppose the connection with the idea of the ter terroir, um, with, with art, we talk about, you know, the provenance, not, not only as a, a sometimes disputable issue, but as a, as a, as a way of understanding where the piece has actually come from culturally, where it's sort of grown from, as it were. Um, and then we talk with contemporary art about site specificity that, you know, a lot of works of art, obviously those in public, but, um, you know, they talk that we, we talk a lot about site specific works that if you take them away from that specific site, either their meaning changes or it loses its meaning. <laughs> absolutely. The importance of place, I think, is absolutely relevant to both wine and art. Yeah. And so so with art, um, I, I love the idea of playing Mozart to the vines. Do, do they, just coming back to that, do they do they use that in their branding and their marketing? They say that Mozart, it, you know, do they actually make yeah. a serious point of that? That's quite interesting. Yes, yes I think so. And, and not I know a few winemakers who also play music in the cellar. So not just to the vines outside, mm -hmm. but also... Um, as the wine is aging and sitting in there. <laughs> That's strange because I can just about get the idea of of the vines being almost like quasi living beings, you know, tree hugging and all that. But but then the notion of the wine itself being alive and having a spirit, obviously, what that attracts me as a classicist because of course we think of Bacchus, Greek Dionysus, as being this god of wine and the wine, you know, transformed you magically when you participated in it. And, you know, so but that's a very interesting idea that you would play the music as the wine matures. <laughs> so there's one in Italy who plays Mozart to their vines, but I believe okay. that the concept started, so that's Montalcino um, in Tuscany, but I think there's another a winery that that did, started this perhaps even before, or maybe their contemporary doing so in Germany. You think the Montecino uh, one might be playing, you know, Puccini or an Italian composer, but they're still playing Mozart. So, but no, it was Mozart. Yeah, I, I mean, we we certainly talk about playing Mozart to babies in, in the womb and when, you know, yep. young children, it's meant to apparently develop uh, or that some people have suggested because of the way Mozart's music is structured. It's the purest classical music, symmetrical and ordered and harmonious and so on, that it helps the the way the brain um, develops. Absolutely. And so on. So maybe that's what's happening with the Mozart in the... And certainly the two things go go well together <laughs> um but but with art um you 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 know are you again quite eclectic in your in in the art that you like or or are there any particular artists or or schools of art that you admire that you particularly like yeah you know i can get really excited about different it it it, it my personal interest might be different from um, what I'm asked to focus on for my work sometimes, and but I will always get excited about the topic or the um, school of art that I'm um, that I'm doing research in, and then eventually provide um, organizing a trip around. But mm -hmm. myself personally, I'm interested in contemporary art. I really like this idea. I like sculpture 
And if I'm interested in painting, it's a very material painting. So artists like Teresita Fernandez, Rashid Johnson, who are really working with a material, David Ajay also, but he's architecture and sculpture, but all of the pieces of those three artists I can think of have this relationship with um, physicality and, um, and actually using materials that tell a story in themselves. I think that's fascinating. So I used to, I was, I'm interested in, um, yeah, I, I like it. Again, I, I've been relating it recently to terroir, this concept of, of the importance of the, of the material and the place that it comes from. But Teresita Fernandez, for instance, is taking works or taking material, stone or dirt or clay, even from a place that has maybe a difficult story and trying to um, express an emotion through putting this material onto a canvas. I find that really fascinating. Um, David Ajay did a similar thing um, at a show at Gagosian in that I saw in London, actually, where he's taking, um, you know, he's going into the dirt, going down into the dirt of a place that has a difficult story and then making something with that material. So this is kind of a theme that I've been thinking a lot about recently. Um, and I was lucky enough to visit Teresita Fernandez in her studio in Brooklyn with a group once. Any artists that I've gone to their studio, usually I end up being a very big fan of because once you've met the artist um, and seen them working, it, you, you get so much more excited, I think, about their work. Yeah, one of the aspects, I suppose, of terroir is obviously the actual the soil is so important part of the concept of terroir. Uh, the minerals in the soil is that, that, that obviously must have an effect on the taste of the grapes and the wine. Um, and and I, I I think there's a parallel there with art as well with um, you know ancient Greek vases where you know today we can actually test the clay and we can prove. That they've come, they were made in Athens, even though they're very often, as you probably know, found in Italy because there was an export trade in the ancient world of Athenian vases elsewhere. And you know that when you fire that that clay, um, it it creates a different color to say Corinthian clay, which goes a, like a creamy color, and the Athenian clay goes this beautiful coral red color. So it's quite it's quite interesting the way, you know, and in antiquity, of course, wine was stored in in amphoras made of that that clay that local clay so it's mm -hmm. almost as though what you're storing the wine in is also the clay that the wine's being grown from which is quite an interesting yeah. thing awesome. what i was going to come on to is can you imagine in your work um advising vineyards um vineyards um to um you know to to maybe put art sculpture in particular outdoor sculpture within the vineyards in the way that they're playing mozart to the the vines i could okay. imagine a very very nice idea which would attract more people to the vineyard to taste and mm -hmm. buy would be also turning it into an interesting sculptural collection like a sculpture yeah. that's a wonderful idea have um, you yeah i mean because it's haven't done anything like that yet yeah. um but it's an idea but, that maybe one could say, actually, maybe we shouldn't be broadcasting this, but it strikes me that things are coming together, as you say, in the work that you're doing. There's more of a kind of intersection of the of the different types of art and wine. Um, mm -hmm. So the idea of, uh, of vineyards being also places to go to see art, you know, outside, in amongst the vineyards would be quite a nice idea as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah. And you know there the there is this rivalry. Uh, there the two biggest uh, cultural figures and philanthropists. Um, so Pino 
and um, LVMH um, mm. have, sorry, I'm blinking on his name. So Pino and Bernard, oh, I'm blinking on his name, but you know, LVMH's director and um, the collection oh, no. Pino. Arnaud, thank you. Both of them just bought vineyards, actually, well, yes. not just, yeah. but within the past, um, they, in the same town in um, in Burgundy, in Maurice Saint-Denis, which is actually where I was working for Domaine du Jacques. And so Claude Tard um, and um, Claude Lambre, uh, just a few streets away from each other, these two sort of um, very historic Burgundian. But anyway, there's no art there yet. And this mm. is something that I would love to talk to uh, Monsieur Pino <laughs> or Monsieur Arnaud about, um, trying to bring some of their collection to Burgundy and to be um, to have some sort of showing of art, whether it's in the vineyards, um, with a benefit not only for the vines, but also for the people of Burgundy and a small a sort of gallery space. I think that Burgundy is really lacking in this category of, you know, there are so many people who are incredibly cultured, interested in art, interested in wine, um, interested in their intersection. And yet we have really very little contemporary art or even, you know, cultural events, art, this is um, lacking. So I think these two wineries, there's now a presence and it would be so wonderful if some of the collection would be on display in, in Burgundy. You'd be quite surprised if they didn't do that because as right? I say, you're attracting most people, I, most people who appreciate and collect and buy fine wines, um, they tend to be buying art as well. So, you know, why not make these uh, uh, the additional, you know, the additional traction of having a good art collection, maybe maybe within the buildings. But um, I mean, I agree with you. Why would they not? It's only a matter of time. Yeah. However, I will tell you the um, the caveat in Burgundy is that it is such a closed door place. So whereas Bordeaux and Provence, these regions have this onotourism, um, so wine tourism, very much in place where there's a, a, a price you can pay to come and visit the chateau and visit mm. the vineyards and do a tasting. This is not the case in Burgundy, which is a little bit why our company, I think, has had success because there's this need to help sort of open the doors and and come and taste because the Burgundians, um, that's traditionally not, I mean, there are a few big houses that do this kind of thing, but I can count them on one, maybe two hands. And there are hundreds of wineries in Burgundy that are only open for professionals and only the professionals that they work with. Um, that's what, you know, that's the official story. Um, but we have relationships and um, other ways of, of visiting these places but it's really something that's only that's it's it's definitely a different model from um, some of the other wine regions of the world Napa Valley for instance where you know you make an appointment and you have a booking and you go and you visit and you stay and you have a glass and enjoy the view and it's a whole experience in Burgundy if you go taste you're going to go into the cellar with the winemaker the the, the proprietor who will have taken the time because there is no tasting team. There is no hospitality team and he'll spend, or she will spend hours with you probably. And then there's no wine to sell because Burgundy is really allocated and the quantities are very, very small. So you can't thank them by buying a, a bit of wine because you'll actually put them in a compromising position when you ask them to, to buy wine and you can't pay them because one doesn't do that. So it's a really, a very so there's, 
they're simply giving up their time to an interested person. Yes, um, so it's rare that it happens. How strange. Do you know any 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 reason, any ideas why that happens in Burgundy and not in other areas? It's deeply cultural. I think this idea of, of commercializing and being open for tasting, well, first of all, the quantities are very small. Yes. So wines are allocated, you know, people are asking to buy wine. And the answer is, you know, hopefully in a few years, I you know, yes. put you on a list. And for, for certain wineries, of course, I'm not talking about every winery in Burgundy, but the it's hard to come by is reason number one. And number two, I think is it's it's a deeply cultural, it's not well seen to do something like that. So it means mm. that you must not, if you need to have all these people coming and paying you to taste your wines, then something's not working well in your model. Um, it's also considered maybe showy. I mean, the Burgundian model is really to be seen more as a, a farmer who works the vines and who, um, you know, it's, it's a very modest, it's the, the origin is monks, right? So um, some Burgundians are maybe still living like monks, or more likely, they're um, showing an outward, um, outwardly, they might be living as monks, but on the inside, they're going to Mejev and um, enjoying, enjoying their life. And, and but it's, it's in a different way. It's a very, it's, it's a more humble culture. And um, it's steeped in history. So there are certain things that are just, I think the change is happening. It will just take time and um, there needs to be an exchange. So for me, I never like to ask a favor to, to go do a tasting. We have um, sort of an agreement with, with the wineries that we might be supporting a project. We might be making a donation to a cause that's dear to our hearts or the winery's hearts, something that, that feels more engaged, that it's not a, just a, a, a favor or an ask or a, or a take but rather it's an exchange a giving um as well that that goes both ways but it's, it's a very like a, different completely it's really different strange it's, it's like a sort of covenant rather than a business agreement you know a kind yeah. of act of love from both sides really but i like the idea i like that idea um <laughs> yeah and it's it's very delicate so you know obviously i live here this is my community too and i'm mm. certainly not going to be asking um, favors and or or taking mm. advantage of anyone's time so I'm very conscious of that and um, of course the the situation is very different in other regions where there's a price and you can pay it and spend you know mm. you have the amount of time and I recently sent some clients to Ornelaya in Tuscany and the experience was it's that's an art and wine experience and you know you read what you're going to experience you have the experience it's just it's done in such a different way and there's wine to sell. There's a bigger, much bigger quantity. And, you know, the tastings are not inexpensive. They, I think they also have interest in having you come and visit. And then they have this incredible property. The vineyards are there on site in Burgundy. That's not always the case. The vineyards are more spread out. Um, mm. The wineries are usually also very modest um, it's, this isn't, there aren't these, you know, glass windowed tasting rooms where you can then have a, have a glass and stay and have a charcuterie and cheese plate. This, it's just not set up oh, that way. Is the, is it, you know, is it like, is it limited, the production? Is it more limited? And that's one of yes. the reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's so similar to the art world, isn't it? So, so I'm thinking when you were saying that about Bur the Burgundy model, um, I was thinking about Gagosian, for example, that, you know, if you actually want to, if you've got loads of money, you're not necessarily going to be on the list to buy 
a Damien Hirst or a George Bazalitz, you know, you'd have to meet with Larry and they'd have to check out that you're actually serious collector and you're not going to buy these things and flip them at auction and, you know. 100%. These are, yeah. these are those exactly all of what you've just said is very much applicable to Burgundy. So yeah. it's about who you are. It's about your interest level. You're, if you're a student of wine who's very passionate and who, you know, maybe a wine writer or someone who's, you know, dedicated their life to the study of wine, you'll have much more of a chance than the person who's um, got, has all the means to buy all of your production and mm. may end up selling some of it at auction and mm. may end up opening it too early, may end up, or, you know, may not have the appreciation as, as does this person who, um, you know, is just very passionate. I think that the truth is the same in the art world. Absolutely. And, you know, I know galleries, uh, contemporary art galleries who say that if a client comes in and the first question they ask is how much will this be worth in five years, they send them packing. They just Absolutely. don't want to know. <laughs> so it's, no, it's very it's interesting parallels, um, you know, more more obviously commercial um, production, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, uh, we've all we all love going to 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 chateau and vineyards and and experiencing the taste you know the taste in the charcuterie and so on it, it usually in a lovely setting and there's nothing wrong with that but it is a very different model and arguably a more commercial model than the um the burgundian one which is mm -hmm. which is interesting and so your the cultural tourism if we if we speak about that next and then finally come on to maybe talking again more about wine and i know the two things are now getting more and more interconnected you've just spoken about a, a wine and art tour to tuscany did you organize that and um it sounds like um it sounds like the perfect combination to offer to people to tempt them um you know you in the day you know we'll see some art and we'll taste some wine and we'll go to good restaurants um that's kind of the model of your tours yeah, you know, and again, I'm just recently embracing it because I used to believe that to be taken seriously in the art world, I needed to only talk about art and I couldn't really, you know, I happened to, it's been a decade that I've lived in wine country or more because I had a little bit of time in Sonoma and Napa as well. And, um, you know, I have knowledge um, around the subject. I'm passionate about it, but I really kept it under wraps because I wanted to be taken seriously in when I spoke about art um, and vice versa. And only recently do I find that, you know, people are not so narrow-minded that they, and, and you can't just see art, 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 and, you know, without stopping, you need a pause to eat. You need to, you know, break up your day and do something else. And the same goes for wine tastings. I have clients where they want to do as many wine tastings as, as possible. Um, but then you propose a quick, a little stop to do something a bit cultural or, you know, when you come into Burgundy, you come in through Paris, would you like to spend a, a day even just, you know, visiting galleries and maybe doing a, an artist studio visit or something like this? And, you know, or in, within a couple, you might find that there's one person who's... <laughs> 100% wine all the time and the other person not so much can't can't do this pace of five tastings a day <laughs> and, and need something else so yes I'm now I'm offering both in together but the focus is always one or the other so for I haven't come across yet a request to do really both the a kind of real mixture yeah 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 no the request is usually either art or wine and mm. then I might leave a little bit of one or the other you just in. put a little bit so if it's mainly if the main focus is art you'll put maybe a wine tasting a visit to a vineyard on the on the itinerary which i think a lot of cultural art tours 
um, groups do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, if it makes sense, yeah. I mean, if it's if we're in um, Burgundy, it, there's not as much cultural offering. But if we're in Provence, that's a very easy one to, to yeah. do both. Um, if you're in Florence, you might do a day trip out to Tuscany, and there are some incredible wineries with beautiful art collections. Um, yeah, it, it depends on the region, but food, certainly, you know, restaurants always need to be included. And if you can be thoughtful about the food and the wine that you're bringing in, I think people really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, um, I, I myself used to do cultural tours um, many moons ago now. And they were mainly archaeological because of my my interest in antiquity. Um, but we would, when I think back, actually, the the company would very cleverly usually put visit to a, you know, wine tasting visit in it. Um, the, and the other thing they would do is um, tours focusing on opera. Mm -hmm. um, so Verona was a great favourite. And but you do a little bit of art as well. <laughs> so it's mainly for people who love their opera and wanted to go to the arena and have good tickets there but there would all there would always be so I was taking them around the kind of galleries and churches in the day and then you know free ticket to the opera in the evening which was rather nice so I think those intermixtures on these kind of cultural tours are probably quite important but I and like yeah it depends on the 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 sort. If I'm working with an institution or a nonprofit organization, they might have a very specific program that they're coming to me with. So they might already know where they'd like to go and what they'd like to see. I might weave in or propose something else. Um, so it depends. Some people say I'd like to go to this region, and it's wide open for your suggestions. Whereas others, if it is a, a, a sometimes it's a group. Um, that already has traveled together many times and they would say to me sort of this is what we generally like to do and then I'll I'll put it together for them. So you it's like a tailor-made tailor-made tour so it's not just your ideas sometimes people come and say this is what kind of things we want to do could you put 100 percent yeah so we have, kind I don't of work, tours. it's kind of I suppose it's a curated tour in in many ways therefore absolutely yeah, yeah. um and the, the the development of the company the hope coat have i pronounced that right yeah, <laughs> presumably it's a deliberate sort of you know um play on the two words so it haute coat is actually um the region that i live in in the haute Côte de bone in burgundy and oh, right. Pardon my ignorance. <laughs> it sounds like a good name for a company as well it's very memorable i'm very glad to hear that because it was sort of chosen just you know, to have a name because I sort of started having clients before I had a structure. Um, and so we just, with my partner, we just chose Ode Code because that's where we lived and then realized that it made a lot of sense for, um, well, one of the first um, requests that we had was surrounding Ode Couture in, um, mm. in, in France. So I saw that nice parallel. And then, but the real, what we really ended up liking about the name is that the Ode Code is a region that you wouldn't necessarily visit when you go to Burgundy. So you might stay on the Route des Grands Cru, which is really, you know, the the main route where all of the, the really esteemed vineyards are that everyone knows. But if you mm. take the time and go up to the Haute Côte, which is really just, it's just above the hill of Pomard. So Pomard being one of the revered villages of Burgundy, it's a bit wilder. It's a bit um, more authentic perhaps in some ways, or it's just a different feeling that mm. I think if you take the time to visit, it's special. And that's what I like to apply to everything that we do um, with the hope that, you know, people get a little bit 
off the beaten track as well and take the time to visit something that they might not have otherwise. Mm. And um, so do do your do people come to where you live um, and, 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 you know, to, to buy wine, to purchase wine? Yes, I would yeah. say that it's um, it's this is a new wave of Burgundy there, especially with climate change. Um, there are some interesting things happening in this region. I mean, mm. we're really just over the hill from the from the Grand Cru vineyards, but mm. things are changing a lot. And there are some young um, winemakers installing themselves here, doing some interesting things. So I would say we're not taking everyone to the Haute Côte, but it's happening more and more. So it's it's a developing region rather than the it's like cont contemporary ultra contemporary in the art world as opposed to old masters, which is the Grand Cru. Sure. Yeah. So it's quite a a, a bunch of like younger people like yourselves uh, working mm -hmm. there and developing vineyards. That's really exciting. Yeah. No. It's. I mean, there there are people who are doing that in in other pockets as well, but this one is it. It feels like it's having a moment. Mm. Do you think it's a? Um, do you think it's like a millennial generation thing to do something unusual like this? You you hear of a lot of millennials that don't like chains. They want to they want to just create a small business like small breweries of come on, mm -hmm. beer breweries for example. I'm thinking of and maybe this is part of that general cultural development amongst uh, the millennial generation. I mean. It, it could be. I mean, we have another um, friend who's making um, artisanal coffee yes. up here. Um, other Fantastic. friends who are, making, who are making beer and, um, you know, people who are working with horses or, you know, yeah, sort of alternative perhaps. Mm. Um, but yeah, maybe it's it's also a cost. I mean, Burgundy, you can't afford vineyards. It's very difficult. They rarely come up to first sale. And if they do, it's, I mean... The prices are exorbitant so sure. the oat coat is is somewhere a little bit more affordable maybe and um you still can you have the access to bone and to um the grand cru area but then you're just above just over the hill i, I, I don't know if it's if it's that younger generation necessarily but something mm. interesting happening here for sure and, it, and if you're developing i mean some of these vineyards are they actually on on lands which has never been vineyard before um, or are they I, always on old vineyards? No, the soil is so interesting here because you'll see, you know, vineyards for kilometers and then suddenly nothing. And you'll mm. wonder, well, what, why not there? And why it's not? really because of the soil composition. You know, it is what it is. And um, there are some areas that are just not interesting to plant vines. Uh, and it's more interesting to plant wheat or to plant trees or something else. But um, it's it's a very complex decision-making process of it and it's sort of, it can work or it can't. So you could literally get off your bike or get out the car with a spade and dig a, see what the soil's like, you know, the feel yeah. of it, the smell of it. And then maybe even today have it tested chemically and just see whether it would be fit. Is, is that the way you might decide whether you could grow? I'll have to, so we're running a trip very soon with a geologist um, who's <laughs> really going to go very deeply into the geology. And I'll have to wow. I'll have to ask her about that. Um, but that's yes, so I interesting. That, I mean, that is the kind of work she does. Geologists are really underrated in terms of what they can bring to a cultural tour. 
Absolutely. I've been oh I've been God. lucky to have people who know their geology and it's just brings the whole thing to life you know if you're in Sicily looking at archaeological sites we're looking at mar you know they suddenly have a complete new take on the quarries the marbles the the whole landscape you know that could be used defensively or not it's fascinating isn't it that absolutely yeah. And Goethe, I remember Goethe's uh, Italianizer, the Italian journey, one of my favorite books, um, his travel diaries when he escaped Weimar and went down through Italy on the Grand Tour. You know, he was a geologist. So all the time he has this amazing geological vision of the describe, describing the landscape as well as describing art and culture and philosophy. Yeah. So, again, there's another there's another little aspect you could bring into this, the, the, that notion of geology. Yeah, very. I mean, I we're working with a geologist only for the wine tours, but I'd love to talk to her about cultural trips too, as well. That might be very interesting. And I, I think your, I think your idea that um, you know you you often get partners on a tour, and one of them really isn't very interested in art uh, and is only interested in Michelin-rated restaurants, and uh, the the other one's the opposite. And I've had people like that that on my tours. Um, and what's really wonderful is when they invite you to dinner because you know it's going to be good, you know. Um, but well, it's great, isn't it? Because you're talking art, you're talking culture. You know, it's just a wonderful meeting point for people with similar interests. I think I always prefer. Um, this is why we're not really offering open, completely open tours that we're proposing, um, because we really love it when people come in with them. They already have some shared interest or something in common either they belong to a club together or mm. they're both they're all supporting an institution or with this geologist for instance um Brenna Quigley is her name everyone is who's coming on this tour listens to her podcast and um is a supporter of her work and or is you know passionate about geology through and very much understanding terroir through her so they already come together with this shared understanding and interest and we know that the tour will be more interesting because of that and um, the same with the wine and hip-hop um, there's a community around uh, music and wine and they there you start with this with the same basis and that's really really special for these trips so how would the wine hip-hop thing work would you you know I kind of imagine people maybe having more more than a couple of glasses but but dance you know in a in a dance room i mean it is that how how is that going to work the the, the hip hop wine connection so so what we've done so far is one event um which was a big tasting but what we're going to do now are trips too so we're planning to go to champagne in hmm. um may and it will be a series of visits and tastings with wineries and with um, winemakers and um, visits with experts, but then we'll weave in hip hop is really, I think hip hop will be more of a background. And also the person who's, um, who will be with the group, Jermaine will speak about hip hop. We'll make these relations for him, you know, talking about wine producers and music producers, um, is, I mean, it's all expression and he has a really, he's very gifted for bringing the two together in an authentic way. And, but for us with the tasting, it was just, again, this way of making something that can be perceived as so pretentious, really relaxed and fun. You know, we were tasting wines from incredible Burgundian wineries and we were in the vineyards with a beautiful backdrop. There was music, there were grilled cheese sandwiches. So we decided to do American street food, kind of something, um, again, 
just to, to pair white burgundy with an American grilled cheese sandwich was just so unexpected. Usually you'd have <laughs> a little toast with a piece of foie gras or yes. escargot or something like this. And yeah. to just throw that away and say, let's just have a nice time and taste these wines. And that it was such a great um, convivial um, fun, unexpected, really elevated experience. It was not just a wine tasting. It was something more. So we we'd love to do more of that kind of thing too. Sounds great. And you'd attract a different, a different clientele to that, which is always yes, good. We did, but we were also so surprised of the very expected clientele of, of some Burgundian winemakers who came and said, Oh, this feels so good. You, thank you for doing something different. And finally, because they're solicited constantly, you can imagine to do tastings, appearances, to um, animate something and be mm. present. But you know, it's always kind of the same thing with the same kind of people too. That's and great. So, so they're not necessarily conservative in a in no, a negative I mean, way. The Burgundian, um, no, you know, no, traditional no. vintners. No, I think that the the culture maybe and historically that's the perception, but now there's a new generation and mm -hmm. but even even an older generation, um, one pretty um, renowned winemaker who came to me and said, next year we're doing this again, and you know I want to do it here at the Claude Vougeau, which is a um, a really historic abbey wow. and where they've always done classical music that kind of thing, and so now we're mm -hmm. proposing this to them and um he said you know we have to support this new wave and he was excited about it yes yeah, so so the company isn't you're not selling your own brand of wine you're you're producing these tours that combine wine and wine tasting and vineyard visits with with other cultural activities yeah. Or purely art. There can be trips that are, you know, and in, in, if we're in Paris, we're not visiting vineyards, but we're, yeah. you know, doing doing the art, um, the galleries, private collections, artist studios, things like mm. that. Mm. And then there are some that are purely wine. But then what what I'm most excited about is the ones where we get to blend the two, even just a little bit. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's what's great. But uh, my partner does make wine. So and I, I say it's he makes the wine, but it's done in our home. So I'm involved too and have cleaned a few too many barrels to say that I'm not involved as well. <laughs> but is that kind of like a limited edition just for friends or do you actually sell it commercially? We're selling it commercially. Yes. Mm -hmm. Does it export to like London? Could could you buy it in a... Yes, yes you can buy it through Sager and Wild in London. Um, Ooh, let's make a note of that. And and the label is Hope Coat? No, it's not. It's called Vin Saison. Saison, oh, like the seasons. S A I S O N S. So it's um, a, it is limited production. We're making about two thousand bottles, but enough that we're exporting to London and um, elsewhere in Europe and in the United States too. And is most of that wine from the Haute Côte region, from the region you spoke about earlier, the, the newer region rather than the Grand Cru? So we're making it in the Haute Côte, but no, it's all village wine. So it's not um, yes. Premier Cru or Grand Cru. It's yeah. um, but we're making, um, yeah, within Burgundy, uh, one white and two reds from the um, village appellations. Mm. And no rosé. No rosé. No, it would be a shame in Burgundy too. What about how did how did um? I I just wanted you to say a few words about um how did you grow 
the company, as it were, like in ter- both in terms of your cultural tours? Did did you start with people that you already knew organizing tours and getting them, you know, and then it grew from there? Or did you start with absolutely no clients and you just marketed a tour and people signed up for it and then it got going, got off the ground? No, so I've never market. We never market tours um, per se. It's always um, through a conversation or a partnership. Mm. Um, I am doing still working with some other companies um, that are also cultural travel companies or working with institutions, so museums or nonprofits or cultural philanthropy Mm. advisors. I have a trip with a cultural philanthropy advisor um, that I'm proposing in the south of France now to talk about different methods and modes of cultural philanthropy. and we'll be doing hopefully this as a yearly. So they always come through a, a partnership mm-hmm. with another wine or art professional, really, mm-hmm. who might want to bring a group of their clients. So mm-hmm. I found because what I was doing before working 100% with museums was that I was really an extension of the development department. So the mm-hmm. goal of those trips was inevitably fundraising mm-hmm. and being more loyal to an institution. And I found that it was incredibly efficient. I mean, mm. the those trips for the museum are neutral. They don't cost them any money. Yes. And for the people on the trip, there may or may not be a donation included back to the museum. That's not really what's important. What's important is spending time together, bonding, having these incredible experiences, being afforded access by being linked to the museum. And then going back, these the donors end up feeling closer um, wanting to give more or give more consistently perhaps and be invited to the next event and or yeah. or trip and so I've sort of applied this idea to uh, other organizations as well who need to do fundraising but even be not just fundraising even for other art world professionals being spending time with their clients so whether yeah. you're an art advisor or um, a gallerist, a dealer, having time together. I mean, they'll know better than anyone that spend sitting, sharing a meal is, is more effective than, you know, a, a call an email, you know, trying to keep those relationships. The relationship thrives when you have these experiences together. So we realize that with wine importers, with art professionals, mm that we've been proposing these trips for. It's really a way for them to bring their clients away from wherever they are traditionally, habitually, and spend time, you know, really um, it's about the relationship and um, perhaps it is about giving as well. It sounds really interesting. And presumably when you negotiate with with these partners, um, you would just have, you would have your own fee or some kind of commission. Um, so we don't work on a commission basis. We would um, fa- fold our fee into the trip cost. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's a, it's a neutral um, yes. for for the partner. In fact, often they have their own honorarium for their time and um, you know for bringing in all of their clients. Really, so yes. we haven't actually been going to find clients per se because our client is really our partner, and then yeah. they bring along their small group of of um, whether it's clients, donors, trustees, um, mm. colleagues. Yeah, I, um, I, I used, I worked for a kind of commercial art tour company. And then I suddenly thought, why am I working for these people? I've got like evening class students and open university students at the time, you know, I was freelancing, who kept saying to me, 
can't you take us to to these places? <laughs> and so I I set up a tour, I think, to the Bay of Naples, where I'd done my PhD research. And, um, you know, it. I just, I didn't market it. I just said, I'm doing this trip. Who would like to sign up? And I, I I did what you did. I just built my fee into their into what I was charging them on top of the hotels and accommodation, etc. And um and, and that went that went on for years. And I, I I must tell you a quite a funny I think it's a funny story. Um, a guy on one of the tours once said was was had worked in the tax office. You know they they they're typically professionals who've retired and are interested now in doing cultural tours. And um, he said, um, do you pay taxes on? You know, I assume that you you make a bit of money out of this. I said, yeah, of course I do. Um, and 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 he said, do you what do you pay tax? And and it never occurred to me. I was a really young, naive person that I should be paying tax on this. So I I found an accountant, and he said, treat this like a confession. I want to know all of the tours you've done and how much money you've made. And I gave it to him. Two weeks later, he calls me in and he said, he said, well, you owe an awful lot of tax <laughs> to the inland revenue. But you have been charged basic rate tax on all the other work you're doing for institutions. And the balance is that they owe you, you know, something like three thousand pounds. So right. it's, it's it, I always remember that story connected with my first attempts to create my own small business. And I did wonder whether to turn that into a business. And then I thought, actually, when I look at the people who run these commercial companies, they're no longer that happy because it's become too big. So it strikes me that you have found a way with your partner to to find something that isn't going to be too stressful and run away with itself. No, I think so. I, I don't. I think we um, we are growing a bit. We have some partnerships that are um, more expansive with um, auction houses, where we are have a risk of being inundated by calls once the um, the season changes and people want to travel again. But I think at this point, we'd like it to remain, you know, we'd like to remain focused on France. I have, I mentioned Tuscany because every now and then something comes along that is tempting and we accept, but for the most part, we really are focusing on France and, um, and these groups of really passionate people rather than taking on too much. So I know, mm. I think at this point it, we're happy with the size and might grow a little bit, but um we won't we won't let it run away it sounds like a wonderful sort of lifestyle as well that you and your partner have there in Hope Coat and I think listeners will be probably quite tempted by your wines I'm certainly going to go and look for your wines and um uh, they'll probably be tempted by I think they'd be very interested in your business model but um you know hopefully you might see some of them on on a tour at some point Yes. So, <laughs> so Milena, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you for giving up your time today to talk about uh, your wine and cultural tours business. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.